This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I'm going to talk actually a bit about um, a holy family or a holy community. And uh, we're going to we're going to take one piece of scripture and we're going to just talk through that this morning. And uh, so we're not going to be topical. We're going to, we're going to sort of look at a piece of scripture and uh, share with each other also some of the things that stand out. Because the, more than ever, there's a challenge um, to what is, what is real community and what should a godly community look like. And uh, the encouragement for all of us and the challenge for all of us is that I must belong somewhere. Uh, through COVID, there's been a lot of people that's been withdrawing, um, and some people, especially in church communities, you know, they say in America, more than 30% of churches are closing down, or have closed down after COVID. So you almost see some people that are afraid that has like either withdrawn, or some people that just got comfortable, uh, because maybe they were not connected from the word go, and so... It's not like it's almost like a bit of a shaking in the church, but then you also see, especially among the young people, uh, a great desire for real relationship. And more than ever, as the church is progressing and as we're gonna be challenged in the years to come, if you are not connected relationally, you will most probably not make it. You'll get deceived. You know, I was talking to a guy who was um, in one of the more rural towns, and then it's uh, all the Jewish stuff and the prosperity stuff. He's just talking about wave upon wave of hyper-grace doctrines and different doctrines, and, and then there's always a, a prophet. There's always a prophet that comes to prophesy, and then all, everybody runs to the prophet, and then the prophet normally runs away with somebody's wife, or you have to kiss his ring 50 times and call him prophet, and... You know, but I haven't seen many servants in the kingdom of God, you know. Um, so if you want something on your grave or your tombstone, say, I served God or he served God. You know, that's a great title to have, you know, not all these other nonsense. But in any case, so, so Paul writes in the piece of scripture we're going to look at this morning is he writes to a group of people that he really loved. You know, in, uh, it was the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. Um, but he, he actually, the first time in the book of Acts, when we read about him encountering this mostly Greek philosophical group of people, um, eventually him and Silas have to run for their lives out of this community. So he's obviously very worried, and he writes beautiful stuff, and there's a great way in how he, he loves these people. You can read it in, in um, 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 2 verse 8, where it comes and he says like, hey, we didn't just come to bring you doctrines. We actually came to impart ourselves to you, um, our whole lives we lived for you. And so he was quite tense uh, because of the persecution that started and then eventually sent Timothy to go and check up on the church. And then he's really amazed by what is happening through the persecution and through the tough times they're going through. And, uh, and he's, he's actually like, wow, you know, things are happening. In the second book, he writes again to them because the persecution actually increased. Did you know that most books that Paul wrote, and this is one of the oldest books that he wrote, um, is like to persecuted people, not to comfortable people. And um, I want to encourage you and challenge you uh, to go and read a book. It's called The Insanity of Obedience. It's about the church in the Middle East. It will... Uh, challenge your whole paradigm on church and community and obedience to God. 
But let's jump into this. Are you all ready? Um, it says in First Thessalonians 5, um, from verse 1, it says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no, no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly what day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the light nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch and be sober. Okay, so... So the a big theme through this book and in our lives should be about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if, you, if you want to be a believer, you have to ask the Lord all the time. Say, Lord, I am not, this is not my home. This is not where I stay. Uh, I'm just passing through. I've got another home. If you think this is your home, you're in trouble. Because then you're going to try to be rooted here. You're going to be trying to be a settler here. But every morning when you wake up, you know, that's what I love about the first church. They greeted each other with Maranatha, you know, um, not hello or goodbye. They said, our Lord Jesus come today. So they had an urgency and expectation, an intentionality in their relationships. And this is what Paul writes here in this last part of this book, this final chapter of the book of Thessalonians. He says, hey, guys, be, be sober, be, be awake. Uh, you have to focus because hey, whatever, if it's good times or bad times, it doesn't matter. There's one goal you have, and that is we're all preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. And more than ever, how many of you would agree now we're more closer than what they were when he wrote this book to them? Huh? <laughs> so we should be more urgent <laughs> than what he's writing to them. You know, it's, it's not like, like, well, okay, they needed it really that time. No, we are much closer now to Jesus coming back. You know, it's just a short delay, but he's on his way. <laughs> and so <clears throat> that not drivenness, but that expectation in our relationship with him and with other people should be a priority. But you know what our, our problem is, our challenge in the West is, is we get distracted. There's so many idols, and some of the idols are the beautiful mountains, or the Cape Town Marathon, or the cycling, all the other stuff that we do, because we're really, we're really focused on those things. Yo, yo, you know, I'm going to plan three years ahead of when I'm going to do the Xterra, or the this, or the that, or what, and, and it's great. There's nothing wrong with those things, but how much do we plan about the things of God? How much do you prepare yourself for the, the coming of Christ? You know, as uh, talking to a group of uh, second-year guys this week, and you know, we, we're talking through like, hey, uh, what does it mean to be a man in your home one day and to lead in the home one day? And I saw just some, lots of them are like, whoa, you know, we haven't heard lots of this stuff. Because I said, you prepare 13 years for your uh, workplace, but how much do you actually prepare for being a man or being a woman, you know? That's why like these Me Too mentoring stuff is so important that we learn from older ladies. What does it mean to be a woman and what are the struggles we go through, you know? And so Paul says, be sober. If you say to somebody, be sober, what is the opposite of being sober is to be drunk, okay? He's not talking in the context of them having uh, bad drinking habits. He says, you get drunk with other things. 
If you're drunk, what means you lose your senses, you lose your ability to respond to the situation around you. That's why you cannot drink and drive. Why? Because you're not sharp. You can't focus. So he's talking about something else. He's not talking about drunkenness. He says, be sober, be ready, because that day will come when nobody expects it. <laughs> sure. So most of us may think like, well, maybe this is going to be 10 years from now, or 50 years from now, or 100 years from now. But what if I tell you Jesus is coming back tonight at 12? How would you live today in a different way than what you lived yesterday? If I can, if I can guarantee you 100% that Jesus is coming back tonight at 12, what would you do differently today than what you have lived your life yesterday? I think probably we will most probably not worry too much about our garden, okay? Or about, there's a lot of, what, what's the first thing we go, we're going to gun for? We're probably going to repent of all our sins, okay? <laughs> we're probably going to, we're probably going to make ready our hearts first, and then we're going to go to all our friends and tell them, hey, you, uh, are you ready? Jesus is coming back tonight at 12. But not one person in this room knows whether he's coming back tonight at 12. And most probably he can. Because the scripture says, the thief comes in the middle of the night when you don't expect him. So the expectation, wow, what is your expectation? And this is not a condemnation, it's just sort of a wake up. And this is what he's writing to them that are already persecuted and he's challenging them. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Faith, love, hope. Isn't that what, what, what motivates us as Christians? He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. You need, to, you need to cover your heart with faith and love. You need to put on the helmet of, and the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, is your breastplate on? Is your helmet on? Because we're going to pick up some speed now. Okay, I know you're very enthusiastic. We're just reading through Scripture and just enjoying Scripture together this morning. So I wish we had much more time. So he says in verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. So, so again, he's, he's talking with this urgency. He, had a, he heard this good stuff about the church, but he's challenging them. He says like, hey, we can't, we can't just go through life as if we are just floating through. We just wishful thinkers or we are when we Christians, when that happened 10 years ago, when I was also excited like the young people, you know, um, and, and it, we can't be when we Christians. You can't live by the things that happened three years ago and 10 years ago. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where God is moving. Today is the day where God is speaking. And it's the most amazing opportunity. We are that generation, or at least our children will be that generation that will see the coming of Christ. And so uh, I want to challenge some of you again to come, just come to evening service where we have hundreds of students and young people uh, sitting in this room, and they going for God. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why, you know, some, somebody, uh, older person in the church told me the other day, when I look at you, I get tired, you know. I said, well, how old are you? 
No, 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 I've, I've, I've matured. I said, oh, okay, cool stuff, you know. But if you take your age divided by eternity, what do you get? Zero. Don't ever lose your childlikeness. Don't ever lose, you know, but, but we get mature. But did you know what, what uh, Reinhard Bonke said? He said, dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we get more dignified because God is holy. And then we speak in old King James, unto thy earth, be thy worshippers and ours unto the earth, you know. It's amazing how we even change our language. But then we like shouted at the kids in the week, hey, get up with it. You know, we get very excited. Oh, in front of the rugby game or the soccer game. Oh, then we're excited, you know. But when it comes to God, then we're not excited. Well, sorry, you know. There's no dignity in the kingdom. There's honor and respect, yes, and holiness, yes, but it doesn't mean it's like stiff upper lip Christianity. Now you may say, well, I'm an introvert, you know. I don't express myself that much, you know. But there are some stuff that you're excited about. And so it's, it's a, I'm talking about an urgency in our relationships, and this is what Paul is fighting for in most of his letters to a group of people that are already urgent. A group of people that are already laying down their lives because there was a lots of accusation against this group of people that they are going to overthrow the Roman Empire and there's a lot of stuff. Some of them were killed. Lots of them were martyred. And so this is the context in which he writes because a lot of them died, most probably because they were martyred. And the context, one of the themes is in this where he talks about this. So it says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you. Now exhort is different than to edify, okay? To edify means I want to build somebody up. To exhort is means I'm going to challenge you, okay? So exhortation is a big part of Christianity. It's where we challenge each other, stir each other up for good works, we challenge each other. That's why you need to belong in a small group or a me to mentoring group or a group of people that will challenge you to love God with your whole heart, you know? You can't just do it on yourself because we all have bad hair days, some no hair days, some demacar hair days, you know? We all have different hair days. We don't want people to see when we have bad hair days, you know, or no hair days. But so the crazy part is like we need each other to challenge each other, to stir each other up to edify each other, but exhortation is a bit different. It's like, hey, are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you living an obedient lifestyle? Yeah, and um, I think October, October is the month where most people struggle with depression or heaviness or tiredness, you know, uh, because why? It's not November. In November, people can look out for December, okay? And there's a holiday in December, but October is, October we always find is like, October is like, yeah, Mr. Bean, you know, this is a, I just want to be a couch potato, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Lord is dieth unto dieth. And this is what we feel like most of the time. It's actually very comfortable on this big <laughs> I should preach more from the couch, but in any case, I'll become a sorry mache. 
They say you must, it's throwing pillows. Wow, that's looking, like, but in any case, so the crazy part is we're all the, yeah. But scripture should challenge you. Scripture should make you like, wow, you know. I want to live in this fullness, and it's, I'm not talking about performance or being driven, but I'm talking about urgency, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, Let, let's be urgent about the call of God. And so, <clears throat> now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders e evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So now... He's first talking about the condition in our hearts. Then he's talking about our relationship with other people. He says, hey, if we want to live in the space of love, it's always in the context of the people around us. Let's be gracious with other people. Let's challenge those who are rebellious. He says, let's, let's um, comfort the faint-hearted. Let's uphold the weak. Because there's some people that are just weak and struggling. Some people died. So he says, hey, let's... Let's do that, and let's pursue what is good both for, for ourselves and for everyone, because we have this concept of community. Now, a lot of people don't know that because we grow up in an individualistic society. We grow up, me, myself, survival of the fittest. We don't live in a space. We have a very fraught, frat culture, okay? Very bad culture. Because we grow up in this space where it's just about me and my bank account, and I, I really need to fight, you know? And, um, and so God calls us to a place of dependency on Him, but interdependence on each other. Not independency. The world tells us to be independent, but we should be interdependent. Isn't that what He says? We are a body, so the hand cannot function without the rest of the body. That's, that's the sort of picture that he gives us. So you cannot function without your community around you. You cannot function without the brain telling you what to do. And Jesus is the brain, I mean. Okay, we're not the brain. But so he says, like, it's so beautiful, this picture of how we should live in this community because he's writing to them that are persecuted and going through tough times. Some of their friends died, and he says, like, hey, Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, okay? Sure. How many of you struggle with patience? Where's all the mommies with the small kids, you know? Ooh, yeah? It's, it's, it's tough, especially 3 a.m. at night, you know? When uh, that kid doesn't want to sleep and sits up and like, ah, you know? I've woken up, the day has started, you know, for this household in any case, but Hallelujah. But patience produces that perseverance, produces faith. It's, it's something that happens in our life. But it says, pursue it. Pursue what God has done. And then verse 16, verse 15, uh, let's go verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So now he's beginning to talk spiritual language. He doesn't start there. He first talks about how we should have relationships with each other. First condition of the heart, then relationship with each other. And then he says, how do you actually live in that space is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Isn't this impossible? <laughs> 3 a.m. in the morning. doesn't say rejoice sometimes when there's breakthrough. He says rejoice always, pray without stopping. 
in everything. Turn to your neighbor and say everything. No, no, no. Turn to your neighbor and say everything. <laughs> Give thanks. I was at a, at a wedding yesterday, uh, Daniel Clausen, the Clausen clan, and um, the grandfather prayed. He prayed beautifully in Afrikaans. I love some of the older generation that prays this beautiful Afrikaans. And at the end, he was praying for the food. And, um, you know, some people pray like this. They say, uh, I'm going to say it in Afrikaans, then English, you know. Sien ons hier by die gebruik van die voedsel en maak ons recht dankbaar daarvoor. Ja, sien ons hier by die gebruik van die voedsel en maak ons recht dankbaar daarvoor. Lord bless us, you know, with the food and please make us really thankful for it. Do you know how God is going to make you thankful for it? It's by taking the food away. But this when we prayed right, he says, Lord, we are truly thankful for this food. And I thought like, he's a believer, I mean. <laughs> he understands scripture, yeah? Because what begins to happen is most people, most of us, because of the culture we live in, will probably think like, oh, I'm not rich because I don't drive a Porsche. If you have three pairs of shoes in your cupboard, you are super rich. If you can decide what meal you're going to eat lunch and have a different meal dinner, you are in, at your dinner, you are super, super, super rich. But see, the deception comes because there's actually an issue in our hearts sometimes. Now remember again, I want to say 30 times, you know, if, if this is the one thing you remember, but he's writing to a group of believers that are persecuted and have lost family members for the gospel. And he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, Lord, give me a 30-step strategy. What is your will for my life? What is your purpose for my life? There it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks. <laughs> is it, isn't it like amazing if you're around thankful people that you get, it's, it becomes contagious? Huh? It's just like, yo, I want to be around those people. But, but we get people that they're always critical they're always negative they always see what's wrong they're always like but there's a problem because they you know critical critical people does not build they're not builders they're always seeing what's wrong how you know their their glass is half empty and not half full <laughs> and so if you want the fullness of God in your life, and this is what he's beginning to say, he says, do not quench the spirit. It almost seems like, sure, is he, is he like talking about two different things? He says, no, if you are not in a position of thanksgiving, if you're not in a position of blessing and of rejoicing, then the Holy Spirit is being quenched in your life because the Holy Spirit can only operate in a culture of honor and celebration. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So if you bring forth bitter water and sweet water, you, you can't, the Bible says. You're going to do one of the two, and you have to commit yourself to learn to rejoice in the Lord. Learn to give thanks, even when everything around you says like, no, I need to be a moaner or a warrior, not a warrior with a sword and a shield, a warrior with a long why, you know. 
I'm a warrior for Christ, you know. Which one? And so this is what he's challenging them with. He says, like, quenching the Holy Spirit. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's different. That's when you sin against the Holy Spirit. When you become disobedient, the Holy Spirit tells you, stop that pornography, stop that stuff, stop that stuff. That's when you grieve. But when you quench it, it's like you, you begin to ignore the Holy Spirit. You begin to ignore the, the <clears throat> sensitive one of the Trinity, if I can say it like that. The Holy Spirit only comes upon invitation, only comes when we acknowledge and consecrate ourselves. And more than ever, we as the church need the working of the Holy Spirit. More than ever, we need to be sensitive to what God is saying because there's, there's, there isn't formulas. There are principles, but there's not formulas. We all want formulas, okay? But he says this in this context. He says, when you create this atmosphere, first of an urgency with God, then of looking out for your community, then coming to this place where you rejoice and you give thanks, then the freedom of the Holy Spirit is going to be, start to move. And now he continues because he's building on the conversation. <laughs> he says, okay, now, once you get that right, just starting in an atmosphere of celebrating and honoring and sometimes going to your friends and say, hey, do you know what? I really appreciate this about you. Do you know what? I really love this. You know, there's, you, like Peter there's always a plan to be made. We're always going to find a solution. Peter doesn't moan, you know. Peter just goes for it, you know. Anae sorts us all out. She's like, do, 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 focused, and it's beautiful, you know. Winning combination. When we start to live in a space where we say like, hey, Willem, do you know what I appreciate about you? Do you know what I want to celebrate about you? Now, the Holy Spirit feels welcome in that atmosphere, and then he says, do not despise prophecies. Because now what begins to happen is we become a prophetic people. Prophecy is not fortune telling. It's the forth telling of the will of God. We, we begin to say like, okay, if this atmosphere is right, like he's been building up with them and he's been telling them, okay, look out for the weak, look out for your relationships, make sure there's an environment where there's love and faith and love and hope in, in your communities, then we can begin to grow into be a spiritual community. We almost think like it should be the other way around. The spiritual stuff should come first. But he says, no, you need an environment where there can be the prophetic. And then what begins to happen? Wow, we do not despise prophecies because now suddenly the Word of God becomes central. Not just the written Word, but the revelation Word of God. And I, I want to I encourage you, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've been just reading through Old Testament prophecies. It is crazy. It is crazy how the Bible has been confirmed and the cross has been confirmed over and over years before Jesus came to die. Do you know that somebody like Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus lived, he wrote Isaiah 53. And spoke about the cross. 700 years. Some of us get tired by just counting up to 700. Just getting one, two, three, four, five, you know. 700 years before Jesus died, Isaiah prophesied accurately. There were more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus coming. 48 of them accurately about what would happen on the cross. So God isn't silent about His plans. 
God isn't like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to just let these people stay out there, and I'm going to just, like, go for them. But, you know, Amos was one of the minor prophets, and he said, there, there's big trouble in the nation when there's a famine for the Word of God. When there's barrenness in the church, because why? We begin to despise prophecy. We, be, we begin to live in a space where we're just trying to figure it out. We become more seeker-sensitive because we more think of the opinion of people than of the opinion of God. But the powerful thing is when we are a prophetic people, God begins to release stuff over people's life. And I'm not saying it's fortune-telling because a hey, prophecy is just confirmation of something that we already know. But it says don't despise the prophetic in your midst. Don't, don't neglect laying hands on people. You know, so, so parents, take your kids and prophesy over them. You know, trust God, pray scripture over them. That's a good place to start. But the prophetic should be something that we love, you know. Obviously, the Bible says, you know, love God, you know. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So our focus is to pursue God, to pursue love. We don't pursue spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter, who can tell us where? 14. Okay, it says pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts. And then he says like, especially prof the prophecies, especially that you can prophesy. Why? Because the prophetic word of God releases, and not just an urgency of Jesus coming back, but also an accountability about what did God say, and what did he say to you specifically? You know, I tell people, and I spoke at the um, student camp, you know, and it's, it's, you know, a, a teacher that prophesied over my life when I was in grade nine. That's why I love reaching out to young people. Because I know the difference when you start to disciple them when they're young. Yeah. And he would take me on weekends, 14 of us, and we would just go there to Wellington into the mountains. And he would just lay hands on us and say, oh, you're going to be in the full-time ministry. You know, I thought like full-time ministry, half-time ministry, rugby, soccer. So I really thought... I think it was for six months, I thought that my ministry is to run up after the soccer game or the rugby game and then preach the gospel after full time, you know, you get half time, full time. That's what I thought full time is, you know, and I thought only later I realized like, no, no, that's not what he meant by the prophecies he gave, you know, but today I am standing here because not somebody's opinion, but because I know this isn't a job, this is a calling. It was prophesied. Many years ago, <laughs> yeah, and then I started to dream dreams. I dreamt three dreams, yeah. I haven't told not even my wife any of those three dreams. I dreamt one, I thought, like, oh, okay, I wanted to interpret it. Six months later, exactly to the day, six months later, I dreamt part two, better than Netflix, and then six months later, I dreamt part three. And it just like, whoa, it just birthed something the word of God in my spirit. And so, so today, I'm not running on fuel because I'm trying to psych myself up. I'm running because God spoke something many years ago. Do you know it was 32 years ago? The power of prophecy. The power of God's spoken word over our lives. You know, I, I want to I encourage some of us to go and dust off those words again because we forget <laughs> We think like, no, no, my circumstances is so great. And that's why it says, don't despise. What is ignorance is different than despising. Ignorance is, means I just don't know how it works. 
and there's a lot of grace for ignorance. But despising means to make utterly nothing of something. To actually to ignore it and just to shift it aside because, hey, I'm going to do it my way. But the Lord is again calling His people to be watchmen. He's calling us to, even in October, to say, hey, what is God saying? Because that's going to be the fuel in your tank. That's where the Holy Spirit is going to come in and give you strength. He's going to lift you up. He's going to, you know, I was, I was just so amazed yesterday. I don't think there's anybody here, but we, we were at this, um, at the wedding. So it's raining and it's like wet. They're in Sirius up on the mountain somewhere, you know. And so God gave me a vision for this couple and a word for this couple. And I say, hey, this is what God is saying. You're going to be builders. I saw a vision how God showed me. Um, that you're going to build and you're going to specifically build stuff, but it's going to be like Noah. And, and I, I, I saw this, lots of the, these little birds with, you know, with um, olive trees in their, in their beaks and flying from the ships and the stuff that you guys are. So I'm just speaking over this group of people, of, of these, this couple specifically in this little small place. Everybody's like in this little church building. So now we come out. So the confetti, it's raining a little bit. And the moment when we want to take the big photo, do you know what appears right over everybody? This massive rainbow. Beautiful photo with this massive rainbow. And everybody goes like, what? Then the sister comes, the twin sister comes, and she tells them in the speech on what these little olive branches has been prophesying over them, over the sisters, since they were small. And what it means in the speech. We didn't even talk to each other. And I'm standing there, I'm thinking like, I just love God. <laughs> I just love it to sometimes be the messenger, you know. <laughs> sometimes just like prophecies, it's like it confirms God's word. It confirms, you know, and there all the unbelievers just go, this one lady runs and she says, no, 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 take a photo, take a photo. This is Noah. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, here we go, you know. It's probably the only scripture she knows is about Noah and the ark and the rainbow, you know. But it's still cool because everybody that walks away, believers, unbelievers, are encouraged. Because they realize like this isn't just chance. There isn't chance with God. Okay. I'm, I'm sharing these stories because there's something God wants to do inside of us. Because we, 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 we sometimes get into the space where we're just like, okay, let's just make it through the year. Let's just make it through our lives. But you are responsible for reminding God of what he said. He doesn't forget, but you need to remind him. That's why he says, don't despise the word of God that was spoken over your life. And if you've never had somebody pray over you, then go to a small group or go to Me Too Mentoring. There they're going to pray a lot over you, okay? They pray the whole time, you know, which is cool. But get into a space where you can learn what people around you are saying about your life because you cannot, can't hear always. You're not supposed to hear just on your own. Yes, we have our relationship with God, but God places us in a community. Are you with me? <laughs> so he says, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. <laughs> so he calls this group and maybe just the last slide and we're going to finish now, okay? Are you all still ready? All still all right? Okay. Thank you for your enthusiasm over there. So, so if, we, if we start to live, if we start to live in the space of becoming the people of God, we're not, the people of God are not a bunch of Afrikaners together. The people of God are not a, a bunch of Zulu people or Europeans. 
That's not who you are. The people of God are the children of God. <laughs> and the only way this world is going to begin to see is by the love that we have for one another, that we are his disciples. And Jesus said it actually very profound. You know, at a stage his mother was there, and they said, hey, your, your natural family is calling you. And Jesus said, no, who's my family? The ones who do the will of God. That was very offensive. Those who seek the kingdom of God with me, they're my first family. Blessed is he who leaves mother and father and wife and husband and children for my name's sake, for great is their reward. We don't like to quote that, you know. But we cannot be sentimental about the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't. He would many times come to his disciples and say, Peter, do you guys also want to leave? And then you know what Peter says? He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, you do the great miracles. You're the miracle workers. No, what he says is, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. How can we go anywhere else? Because he's talking about revelation knowledge. He's talking about the word of God. And so that community of builders, people that come together are holy. They walk in the light. They're different. They're sober. They're, they're focused. Not driven, but they're living in a space where they're looking for Jesus to come. They, they're ready. Everything, like we sang this morning, we're making ready for the bride to come. They walk in love. They edify each other. They comfort each other through tough times, through good times. They're thankful. <laughs> they're worshipers because they've seen who God is. Just the word to exalt means to place God above. Remember again, I said I'm going to say it 30 times, he's writing to a group of people that have been persecuted, that have lost family members because of persecution, that have lost people in the church, that were beheaded, that were killed. And the Bible says rejoice always. And then they walk in the Spirit. They don't despise prophecies. They rejoice. They live, they live in, a, in a different way. And so, so this morning, I know everybody wants like, oh, December, December, December. <laughs> but it does, you, you cannot use that as an excuse to a spiritual complacency in your heart. God wants to wake up his church. And the Lord is busy moving on, and the church in the West is staying behind. He's not sentimental about our comfort zones. He's not sentimental about our calendars. Jesus is moving. And he says, come, Shofar Stellenbosch, will you follow me? That means Jesus is moving all the time. He doesn't say, come, let's sit and drink coffee <laughs> and let's chat about this and reason. It means Jesus is moving and he's giving you the opportunity to say, hey, come with I want to co-labor with you. I want to do it with you. But he's always moving. No, but Lord, let me go and bury the dead. Let the dead bury themselves. Jesus said very offensive stuff, people, <laughs> whether we like it or not. He says, you, come and follow me. What a beautiful thing to do it together. It's not an individual thing. It's not like you, you, you. Hello, Kumi. It's nice to have you here. Hello, Corey. It's nice to have you too. Yeah, yeah, we love you. So, Corey's been the first member. Oh, what, what year did you start in Shofar? 1990. 
Yeah, she, when she points the finger, I know I need to repent, okay? My doctrine isn't right. Love you, Corey. That's amazing about Corey and Kumi. They just want to be in church. That's just like, hey. Because why? That's the place where people gather. That's the place where we worship God. That's the place that's priority. Why? Because of the community that God has placed us. And will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.